When a unicorn is slain, men have destroyed again the image of beauty that they seek. Nicholas Stewart Gray. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hole. And I'm Lee Esses. October is our favorite month because we both really like Halloween. So for this October, we decided to take on the topic of monsters, creatures, things that go bump in the night. <laughs> we have been fairly academic over the summer and much of the spring. We wanted to have a little fun with this series. So we are starting with the brightest monsters that we can think of, the, the wholesome, the good ones. And then we are ending with the darkest monsters of all, the scary ones. As we get closer to Halloween, we're going to have more and more fun in this regard. Yes. So let's get into today's topic, monsters associated with good, with light, with purity. Because monsters aren't all evil, dangerous, and out to kill us. The definition of monster is usually just kind of an unusual creature outside of the norm. Something that's been affected by magic in some way. And unicorns fit that definition. The oldest reference was in the 4th century AD by a Greek physician. I don't even want to try to say his name. But that physician described unicorns as a wild ass as large as a horse with a white body a red head, and dark blue eyes. The horn was about a foot and a half long, and it was red, white, and black. There really isn't any modern description of a unicorn that fits this. I think when it started getting associated with purity, that was when all things that were good and wholesome were also associated with the color white in Europe versus evil was dark and black. So I think they moved it toward the white. So our traditional image of a unicorn now is closer to all white, somewhat sparkly. That description came around in about the 12th century AD. That's when they tried to bring the mythological lore of Greek and Roman beliefs into Christianity. Here's the weird thing, though. They, at that time in the 12th century, were described about the size of a goat, so small little things instead of a wild ass as large as a horse. And along with that image of purity was that a unicorn would only come to a chase virgin. A lot of these themes are in the old movie Legend that has Tom Cruise, Tim Curry, and a couple of unicorns. Weird show. <laughs> but it has that kind of theme to it of... Unicorns are associated with sexual purity. I mentioned the horn being sort of not only what makes a unicorn unique and sort of by definition a unicorn, but that also tends to be where a lot of the magic is held in this magical creature. And it turns out that they actually bought and sold unicorn horns at one point during medieval Renaissance time. They were used a lot in the medieval times in alchemical pursuits, as a way to cure poison, to identify poison. At least that's their belief. But what were these unicorn horns in reality? Narwhal horns. It turns out 
they thought that the Vikings were particularly good at hunting unicorns because they came up with all sorts of unicorn horns. And to give you an idea of how much a horn was worth in that time period, there are records of people trading an entire castle for a unicorn horn. So the Vikings are like, mm, narwhal horns. They kind of look like unicorn horns. Lop them off, bring them down. Hey, guys, can I have a castle? And they did this not once, not twice, but for five centuries. Yeah. So <laughs> great. So Queen Elizabeth in the 1570s had a unicorn horn. She drank out of a unicorn horn cup. And it was actually a narwhal horn. I love the history of unicorns. <laughs> but it's not just in Western culture that a unicorn-type creature is associated with purity. A lot of Asian cultures have a creature similar to the unicorn. It's often called the Asian unicorn or the Chinese unicorn. But it's called in Chinese the Kilin or in Japanese the Kirin. I'm really sorry I'm going to be butchering some of these pronunciations. I am trying my best. <laughs> I first learned it as a Kirin, K-I-R-I-N, which is the Japanese version of this. But they will occasionally be portrayed as having two different horns, but their manes will be going straight up in this like magical defying gravity kind of thing. And instead of being a normal horse coat that's fur, it a lot of the times is scaly. They're almost a dragon mixed with a unicorn look in the sculptures and in the art. But they were definitely associated with goodness. They were sometimes depicted as flying simply because they didn't want to harm anything, even a blade of grass. Another thing associated with this is it represents both male and female elements. The name itself is a split between male and female. You have the key, which is male, lin, which is female. That pattern also shows up with another Chinese-based creature associated with purity, and this is the phoenix. Now, the word phoenix actually comes from Mediterranean, the Phoenicians, but what we're talking about is the bird creature that gets reborn in fire. So in Chinese, the name is Feng Wang. Uh, again, the Feng represents male, Wang represents the female. But you also have bases in, like Lee said, the Mediterranean. You have some bases of a similar creature in Egyptian mythology. We just kind of combine and call it all the phoenix now because that's what's become popularized. Now, for the most part... What comes to mind when I'm thinking Phoenix is Harry Potter, where you've got the big bird that's about the size of a peacock, long, beautiful tail, mostly red with highlights of gold throughout it. Some portray it more as an eagle, especially I think the Native American styles of that kind of character in their culture. They tend to be songbirds as well as creatures that either when they die, they turn into ash or they must be born from the fire in some way. And in Christian traditions, the phoenix has become associated with Christ and the resurrection of Christ. You have Islamic traditions that have brought in the phoenix, that they see the phoenix as created by God to have all perfections. 
And throughout all of it, it is the rebirth, the immortality, the continuing to live and grow in perfection. A lot of mythological creatures across the world have a lot of similarities. We're going to notice that throughout this whole series. There's a version of whatever. There's a water elemental here and a djinn here and the nymph here. There are similarities because we come up with ideas based on the world around us. The next creature we're going to talk about is based on something we all see, but not on this world itself. While many of us grew up seeing a man on the moon, ancient traditions don't see a person. They see a rabbit. This one was a new one for me when we were researching the different creatures for this. So you have essentially two separate parts of the world, the Asian area and the indigenous America area, that came up with their own stories for why there is a rabbit on the moon. But all of them tend to be associated with prosperity, fertility, life, purity. Rabbits and fertility going hand in hand is not exactly a new concept. So in the Chinese and other Asian cultures, the moon rabbit is seen as a companion to the moon goddess. And this is the version that creates the antidotes, the elixirs, the herbs for the immortals. Another story from the Cree nation in Northern America tells a story of a rabbit that hitched a ride to the moon by hanging on to the legs of a crane, which is why they get all long. The rabbit just wanted to ride the moon, so it hitched a ride with a crane. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> that one in particular explains why you can see a rabbit on the moon and why the crane's legs are so long. In Mayan culture, the rabbit is also associated with their moon goddess, and they're frequently shown side by side. Very much like the Chinese background. In Aztec traditions, the god Quetzalcoatl was once living as a human on Earth and thought he would die with no food or water during a long journey, and a rabbit offered himself to the god. As a reward, Quetzalcoatl put the rabbit's image on the moon for people to remember her. The last critter I wanted to just briefly mention is the Caladrius, which is Roman, and it's an animal that's a bird associated with healing. And it was said to arrive in a king's window. I just thought it was an interesting one to kind of toss into the mix. So the thing with purity is it's not limited to just animals. We talked about the animals. You can also look into plants such as the world tree and the lily. Both of those in earth cultures very associated with purity. And plants as monsters are just kind of fun anyway. So this whole month is going to be us giving you starting points for your research because we want to equip you with tools to find interesting things, things that you won't always see. Or even make up your own monsters, especially if you're doing fantasy or sci-fi, something that doesn't take place on Earth. Making up your own monsters is part and parcel to the world building process. And that way you can write your book the way you want it to be, because we should always be writing selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. <laughs>